Hooray for California. Hooray, hooray for the grizzly bear state. As it should be called, for some reason we're called the Golden State. I mean, I say for some reason, we all know why, right? The gold rush, them 49ers climbing over them hills, panning for gold. There's gold everywhere. The streets are paved with gold in San Francisco. Yeah, well, that was a very long time ago, 1849, the Golden State. But ever since then, what's been on our flag? Not a gold nugget. It's been a grizzly bear, something that we also came in droves to eradicate from the state. There are no more grizzly bears in California. They are all dead, and yet uh, that is what is on our flag. So I don't know why we are not the grizzly state, or if we want to be the golden state, why our flag doesn't reflect that. But there you go. I guess a bear looks cooler than a chunk of gold. But I have to say, the grizzly bear state sounds a little bit cooler to me than the golden state. Although golden state's pretty good. Golden child. Anything golden is usually nice. So, yeah, there you go. Anyway, that's my rumination. That's my welcoming rumination for this episode of The Skunk. Welcome back, everybody. It's been a little over a week. I appreciate your patience. As I mentioned on the last episode, a lot of stuff going on over here. But uh, I am back again, and boy, I picked a really good time to do it because we just got the results of California's gubernatorial, I hate that word, recall election against Gavin Newsom, right? This was a Republican-funded Republican-backed recall election to get rid of Democrat Gavin Newsom, uh, someone who's actually an extremely popular (laughs) Democratic governor in the most Democratic state in the union. The Republicans thought that they saw a shot to unseat this guy. Uh, And the reason is, you may already know this if you've been paying attention to the news, but allow me to skunk it up for you a little bit. In California, in 1911, the then governor, whose name escapes me at the moment, basically had this idea that the citizens of California should be able to recall their elected officials, specifically the governor, if they felt that they were too in the pockets of corporate interests, right? It was supposed to be something that stood in the way of corporate lobbyists taking over candidates that had been voted in, and then the voters have no way of removing them. In other words, you'd have somebody like Donald Trump in office in in a governorship where you couldn't get rid of him no matter how crazy he acted or how much he was going against the will of the people and in favor of either himself or whatever cor- corporate lobbyists uh, backed him. So the idea here was just, yeah, the will of the people should be able to remove this man from his job at any time as long as they get 12% of the uh, voters to sign a petition to enact a recall election. So at the time, it was actually kind of a nice idea. Um, but Like with everything, Republicans have found a way to abuse this uh, apparatus of democracy, and they managed to get several recall petitions going against Gavin Newsom practically from the minute he set foot in office in 2018. These recalls were from everything under the sun. They tried to make a lot of different things stick. None of them did. I think there were five previous attempts at a recall. Now, the thing with California is you get a time limit on how long you can gather these signatures, right? You can't just take forever to try to get 12% of the signatures. You have to be able to do it in a certain amount of time. The idea being that, like, if indeed enough people are upset with this guy, it shouldn't be that hard to get 12% of the electorate's signatures, you know, in a decent amount of time. Well, what happened was on the sixth attempt... I believe it was the sixth attempt. Fact check me on that. But it was something like the sixth attempt. Uh, We were in the middle of a pandemic here in California. And an appeal was made to the courts, which found its way to a pretty Trumpy judge, 
who said, you're right, you know, the appeal is basically, we, we can't get this many signatures in this little time with a pandemic going on. People are locked down at home, people can't get outside, blah, 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 it's harder than normal, you need to make an exception and give us more time to gather the required signatures to enact a recall election. And this judge said, okay, I'll give you 120 more days to gather signatures. Uh, right as, the, as this attempt was up against its own deadline, they got a 120-day extension. Pretty unprecedented, but I guess you can make the argument that pandemics themselves are unprecedented and maybe the rules need to bend a little bit for certain things. Either way, these people got the required signatures uh, with this generous amount of time, and boom, we're in a recall election. Well, at first, it didn't look like it would matter. I mean, again, California is a very, very democratic state. I think Joe Biden won by something like 22 to 29 points over Donald Trump. Again, fact check me on that one. I've heard it a couple different ways uh, in looking into this episode. But basically, roughly 25 point difference for Democrats here when it comes to elections. Um, Republicans far in the, mi- in the minority. In fact, there hasn't been a state elected official in California who is a Republican since 2006. And that was Arnold Schwarzenegger who actually won a recall election in 2003, meaning that, and here's the next interesting part of these recalls, it doesn't mean that you're actually the will of the people, right? If you win a recall election over a sitting governor, you can have as little as like 15, 14% of the total voting public supporting you. In other words, a recall says one question first, should we recall the sitting governor, yes or no? Now, if 51% of voters say, yes, recall him, well, then he's out of the running and it goes to the remaining people running, which in this case was something like 46 candidates, which means that everyone's vote after the 51% is divided amongst these 46 candidates. So no one here is going to get 60% of the voting public. It's going to be 10% for this guy, 12% for that guy, maybe 20% for this guy. And whoever wins the recall might have literally 15% of California behind them, beating out a candidate who had 49.9% of California behind them just because the answer on the recall was yes. So it's a completely batshit, broken, backwards system, and one that is wide open to gamesmanship and abuse. And this is how Arnold Schwarzenegger got into office, not because he ran in a fair and open election and got the majority of voters. He won a recall running against people like porn stars, you know, internet personalities, others, (laughs) other minor celebrities. Not that he's a minor celebrity. He's a big one, but you get the picture. So that was the last guy who was able to be a Republican state elected official. He still had to win through this bat shit crazy recall process. So I think Republicans looked at the field in California, knowing that there's an actual midterm election where Gavin Newsom will be up for re-election in only a year from now and thought to themselves, well, there's no way we're going to win that. I mean, especially against Gavin Newsom, love or may hate him, the guy actually won in 2018 by the largest majority of any governor in California history. He got 61.9% of the vote against uh, John Cox, who ran against him, which was only 38% of the vote. That's a landslide. So they want to run against this guy in four years? Well, good luck. You know, I think that they saw the only way to potentially unseat Gavin Newsom would be through a recall election, right, where they can win with just 15, 20, whatever percent of the electorate. Again, John Cox got 38 percent. That's not bad. If they could find a guy like that, 
All they got to do is get 51% of Californians to boot Newsom, and then somebody with that low of a turnout can take his place. So not a bad strategy, but a dishonest one, an undemocratic one. Some could say a sinister one, brilliant, but, you know, not honest and not a very American of them. Either way, I think that they had, you know, they, they had their case that they wanted to make, which is basically they thought that Gavin Newsom handled COVID poorly because, like with everything, the Republicans felt that business needed to come first and he locked down California. People were inside of their homes. Businesses were closed for a long time, especially in 2020 when this pandemic was really, we were kind of in the throes of it and we didn't know as much as we know now. And we were trying to flatten that curve. Well, meanwhile, other states, of course, like Texas and Florida, decided to do basically nothing, you know, just deny that it exists. And businesses got to stay open. So there's two ways of looking at this. And it just depends on whether you care about human life or money, which if you are an arch capitalist, you know, Republican, usually money comes first. If you are a Democrat uh, who is skeptical of capitalism, uh, usually human lives will come first, right? That is why we see things like labor unions and stuff like that more on the Democratic side and uh, things like corporate tax breaks and stuff like that more on the Republican side. One of these parties cares more about money. One of them cares more about people. However, the Republicans like to dress up their cares for money as freedom. It's always about freedom, freedom of choice, freedom of this, freedom of that, freedom to infect everybody on this train, freedom to send my kid to school sick, get your kid sick so he comes home and kills grandma, Uh, As long as my small business stays open, as long as I can still go to the bar, as long as I can still go see football games, like I can't have any of that taken away from me because that would affect my freedom, which really just means that would affect my business and my bottom line. I don't care if people have to die. I'm keeping this bar open. Um, Where on the other hand, you could care about human life and say, look, we're going to get back to business in a couple months or a year. We're going to have the government give people stimulus money to float them through this, uh, enhanced unemployment checks, moratoriums on uh, evictions and uh, foreclosures, of course. So you could do things to pause the economy and not have it all go to hell. Is it going to cost money? Yeah. Thank God we're rich, right? We're America. We can make this work. But people were furious about it, you know, on the other side. I don't want to have to pay for other people's... um, unemployment checks. I don't want the stimulus. I don't want this. I just want to go to work. I don't care how many people have to die. In fact, what really happened here is people just plugging their ears and pretending like no one was dying. The COVID wasn't real, right? This was so incredibly inconvenient for a lot of people that they just wanted to say, it's just the flu. It's just another thing. People die of heart attacks. People die of pneumonia. Like this is just another thing. We don't need to shut down the entire economy just because there's a new disease on the prowl. Yeah, well, this one was more infectious than others, and it's killed a lot of people. In fact, as of today, one in 500 Americans has died from COVID-19 since it came around in early 2020. One in 500. That's really not that much. That means if you've, you know, if you're somebody with a decent uh, group of followers on Instagram or on, you know, friends on Facebook, you probably know someone who has died from COVID. You know, whether you're close to them or not is another question. But it has affected a lot of people. And that's just the people that are dead. Forget about the people who have long COVID, right? These people who famously are in their 30s and in great shape, but they get COVID and they can never walk up a flight of stairs again without gasping for breath. People who lose their taste buds pretty much permanently. I mean, it's still kind of early. Maybe they'll get them back in a year. We don't know. 
But the point is, it's not fake, right? And the states that chose to ignore this are now drowning in COVID deaths. You know, their hospitals are overworked and understaffed. Nurses are quitting. Doctors are quitting. They're trying to bring people in from other states. They've got like, you know, uh, COVID units being erected in parking lots and in vacant buildings across the street from the hospital. Like, it's an absolute disaster. Well, these people still plug their ears and pretend like it's not going on. Meanwhile, in California, we locked everything down. We did everything we could to listen to the science to, quote unquote, flatten the curve so that our hospitals didn't get overwhelmed, which to date they have not been. Even though California is the most populated U.S. state, we have one in eight Americans in California. There are 40 million people here. If ever there was a state for COVID to go wild and overwhelm the healthcare system and completely destroy us, it would have been California. We've got several major dense urban centers, San Diego, Los Angeles, Fresno, Sacramento, San Francisco. I mean, we've got a lot of places for COVID to spread quickly and rapidly, and it could have gotten out of control. But guess what? Unfortunately for the people who like the Ron DeSantis model, we took the Gavin Newsom model, which should really just be called the I listen to the scientists model. We locked people down early on. We locked businesses up where COVID was likely to spread, indoor movie theaters, indoor dining, stuff like that. Now, it's been frustrating for a lot of people, myself included. Look, I live here. I get it. This hasn't been easy. It's been week to week. Can I go inside and eat at a restaurant? Do I have to wear my mask outside today? Do I, can I wear my mask inside? Do, is that off now? What if I'm vaccinated? What if I've only got one shot? The rules have constantly changed and adjusted. But the fact is, the pandemic, the virus, our understanding of things, and the situation on the ground has constantly changed and adjusted over the past year and a half. So it only makes sense that someone who's listening to the science and keeping their eyes on the data and the trends and what's happening now versus what happened last month would be changing and adjusting the strategy as we navigate our way through this. So yes, to someone who's just living through it and doesn't really have the perspective or want to appreciate how difficult this situation is to manage and how much data has to go into it and be analyzed in order to make these rules and make these adjustments. If you can't appreciate that, I understand that you're frustrated, right? It's like going to work every day and having your job change. Like, oh, what, I'm painting a wall today? Yesterday I was fixing an elevator and before that I was tap dancing. I don't know, like, how many skills am I supposed to have here? Yeah, it's, it's tough. I get it. But backing out and looking at it, what are the alternatives? A rigid, this isn't real response? that completely destroys your healthcare system, leaves tons of people dying. I mean, again, to return to the alternative here, Texas and Florida, it's not just people dying of COVID that's the problem. It's the fact that the hospitals are overwhelmed, people are quitting and they're understaffed, so that now anyone who has any other type of problem can't even get in. In Belleville, Texas, a week ago, a man died just waiting in line, right? I forget what was wrong with him, but he was having some sort of a health emergency, took himself to the hospital, and because of the COVID patients and the backup and the understaffing, literally just died standing in line outside of the front doors of the hospital, just dropped dead. Now, this is a guy who, if the hospital wasn't overwhelmed, would have been ushered into the ER, treated, and would have lived. But because of COVID and because he lives in Texas, where nobody believes this is real until they get to the hospital and see mountains of bodies with tubes stuck down their throat, this guy died. Now, this is just one small example of what's going on all across the country with people who need care. 
not always emergency rooms either. There are cancer patients. There are people with all sorts of maladies and illnesses, chronic illnesses or otherwise, who are just dropping dead or withering away because they're not getting the help that they need because selfish sons of bitches would rather keep their state open for business while everybody dies. So anyway, we've talked a lot about COVID on this show in the past. I'm not going to keep going down that hole. If you're a skunk listener, you probably already know this stuff. I mean, this is just in the news. You know, unless you're watching Fox or you're down some weird rabbit hole of alternative information, a.k.a. lies, right, and misinformation, then you probably already know this. I'm not breaking any news to you. But anyway, so in the long run, it was really a, a big bet from the Republicans who wanted this recall over whether Californians hated the lockdowns as much as they did. It was, do you guys look at Texas and Florida and wish that your state was more like them, right? Which in their eyes meant more freedom, open for business, no mask mandates, no vaccine mandates, right? That's all authoritarianism in their opinion and overreach, despite that they've, you know, we've all dealt with vaccine mandates for our entire lives for other various illnesses, but whatever. We don't want to talk, we don't want to talk about that. Let's talk about the fact that it's overreach for us to have COVID vaccine mandates. So do you guys want to live in a place that's free where none of that happens? Or do you want to live in authoritarian California where, you know, Nazi dictator Gavin Newsom tells you when you can and can't go to work and tells you what you have to put in your body and tells you you have to put your child in a mask before sending him to school to be indoctrinated, right? That's how they see it. Well, what they didn't count on was that Californians, for the most part, actually don't see it that way. Gavin Newsom, at this point in time, and keep in mind the election was yesterday, has defeated this recall attempt 70 to 36, right? 70% of the vote saying, no, do not recall Gavin Newsom, keep him, to 36% of the vote. Actually, not too different from when he ran against John Cox. So very similar numbers, almost identical, actually. So major misstep or missed swing or whatever you want to call it, that Californians didn't like the way that Gavin Newsom handled this. In fact, CNN did a poll here asking Californians various questions about Gavin Newsom, right? And one specifically that was interesting was about his handling of the coronavirus. And they said, basically, do you think that, you know, his policies towards coronavirus, meaning mask mandates, lockdowns, things like that, were about right? or not strict enough? Or do you think that they were too far in overreach and you disagree with them? 63% of California voters said that they thought Newsom's policies on coronavirus were about right or not strict enough. 63%. People saying, no, we were either totally cool with it or we wish he did even more. <laughs> so when you have 63% of the voters thinking that and you're gonna run against this guy on his handling of coronavirus, saying that he should have done nothing instead of all the things that he did, that is a losing strategy. And I think the proof is in the pudding here, 70% to 36%. Um, yeah, so that was just one issue. That was the big one. They really thought COVID would be what would bring down Gavin Newsom. But they had other ones, right? The people in my life that I know who are conservative have a problem with Gavin Newsom because they perceive him to be an elitist and a snob. Now, this may be true. I mean, he comes from a very wealthy uh, San Francisco political family. Uh, I think he is by marriage sort of connected to Nancy Pelosi now. I don't really remember how, but he is a power player and he is an elite. 
but the language you know that you hear people like that using about him, someone being an elitist doesn't mean that they're a bad leader. Someone being an elitist isn't an unconstitutional violation of their office, right? Um, that's really just the language of populism, which we've talked about in the populism episode, which just says, look, you're trying to pitch this as an us against them guy. Like this guy is out of touch. He doesn't speak for us. He's, he's the elite and we're not. We want an every man to run this country. Yeah, but sometimes you don't because Gavin Newsom actually has done a pretty good job. Like like or hate the guy. And I agree. He comes off like an elitist and a snob and he's got slicked back hair and he's beautiful. And, you know, the guy's biggest scandal is that he had mask mandates and restaurant lockdowns for the state of California while he himself snuck off to the fanciest restaurant in the state to have dinner for a lobbyist's birthday and was photographed unmasked partying. Well, that is an elitist behavior. And you could see how that, you know, rubs people the wrong way. I I agree. However, that's not a high crime. It's not a misdemeanor. And whatever hypocrisy he's demonstrating in his social life, you know, infuriating that the rest of us have to stay home and don't get to go to the French laundry, sure. Um, But whatever that means doesn't really necessarily reflect on his policy. Like, we did a very good job of handling the coronavirus, as good as can be expected in America, where it was mishandled at a federal level for the first year. Uh, Gavin Newsom did a pretty good job for our state, even knowing that some of his stuff was going to piss people off. He's also left us with a $76 billion budget surplus, right? Our state runs at a surplus. We are the world's fifth largest economy ahead of India, one of the most populated, if not the most populous country. It's either that or China on any given day. Uh, California, with 40 million people, has a bigger economy than India. Unbelievable. Bigger than the UK, bigger than France. Uh, So when you think about Gavin Newsom's job here, I mean, this guy is basically the president of the world's fifth richest country, if California were its own country. $3.2 trillion GDP is what we're working with here in California. That is one-sixth of the United States GDP. California itself, one of 50 states, accounts for one-sixth of this country's entire gross domestic product. And Gavin Newsom helms that economy and runs it at a surplus. Keep in mind that the United States itself is not at a surplus, right? That's been a a country that's been mismanaged and it has quite a lot of debt and deficit. And, you know, there's there's problems on the fiscal front for the United States, although they will probably be fine. They always are. But Gavin Newsom has managed to run us at a surplus here, the world's fifth largest economy. That's incredible. And I think Jerry Brown did before him, another Democrat. Just going to show you that Democratic fiscal policy works. This is the party of fiscal responsibility. It is the one that understands economics, right? Go to the South and look at how the red states run. You're not going to find a lot of surplus down there. Some places may have it. Most do not. Okay. Anyway, so what exactly is the problem with this guy, right? The economy is running well, even in a pandemic. California is coming back quicker than most states economically. Um, Really, the biggest things you could point to would be COVID, which everyone is suffering from, and we've done a better job of it. So that did not land clearly in this recall. They also wanted to get him on homelessness. Now, this one I would agree with. If I had one complaint, uh, one big complaint anyway, for Gavin Newsom and for the Democratic Party at large in California, it would be the homeless problem. It it is such an awful, awful, awful issue here. 
I mean, it's an issue for just common humanity, right? People living in squalor on the streets, a lot of them mentally ill or addicted to drugs, others just hard up, right? Victims of domestic abuse, runaways, people who have lost their homes for financial reasons. There is a huge, huge problem here that needs to be addressed. And if we are truly going to be a democratic state, you know, we need to be the people that care about this and figure it out. We are supposed to be the humanitarians, the people who care about poor people, and yet we've got this going on in our own backyard. So with Gavin Newsom retaining his governorship and with $76 billion extra dollars, let's tackle this. Let's get this under control. You know, the other problem people have is sort of ties into this. It's just the housing market. Rent is insane in the urban centers of California. Housing is short. You know, they are, there's just a supreme lack <laughs> of residential homes being built, whether they be single family dwellings, condominium units, apartment buildings, it's just not happening. And a lot of that has been zoning laws, nimbyism, right? Housing is proposed in a, in a residential area and people flood the town council meetings screaming about, you're not going to build this apartment building in my backyard. You're not going to put Section 8 housing in my neighborhood. You're not going to put this enormous condominium complex here. The traffic's going to be crazy. You know, people just don't want anything ever in their backyard in California. Everyone's got a beautiful California neighborhood and nobody wants it to change. Myself included. I get it. I, you know, totally understand the sentiment. Unfortunately, when enough of us feel that way, and it is nearly all of us, well, nothing gets built, right? And people are forced to live in higher and higher rent situations. Uh, houses get more and more and more expensive. It really is insane if you look at the market here. And it's insane across the country, right? There's just a lack of housing in general. A lot of it goes back to the 2008 financial crisis kind of put a huge pause on new home building. For a long time, that wasn't a great investment. <laughs> you know, as home prices plummeted, plummeted and uh, evictions started in mass and the banks were repossessing homes left and right, um, there were years there where there wasn't a lot of money to be made in building new houses because people weren't buying houses. But now that's changed and it's actually come back to bite us in the ass because all of these years of suppressed supply being generated, now there's a huge demand and we don't have anything to back it up. And also, keep in mind, construction isn't something you can just snap your fingers and it happens. There are permits. Construction just physically itself takes a long time. And right now especially, there are huge supply chain shortages and things like lumber. So that's a huge problem for California, right? A state where people are constantly moving. I think we had our population shrink for the first time last year. I wouldn't expect that trend to last uh, California is historically a state that sucks everybody else from the country in here because the quality of life tends to be great. Lately, the quality of life tends to be expensive. And if you live in the middle of a city with a lot of homeless people, it's not as great as it once was. But these things can be fixed. So again, this is something that they tried to really beat Gavin Newsom up with. Um, whether or not it's really all his fault I would say no. Most of this stuff happened long before he took office, but it is now his responsibility, right? There's a difference between fault and responsibility. Something can be not your fault, but it is still your responsibility to take care of. I love the house fire scenarios on this on this podcast. We always talk about this. If your house is set on fire by an arsonist, well, that wasn't your fault, but it is your house and it's your responsibility to put it out if you can, right? And if not you, of course, the fire department comes. But if you're there with a fire extinguisher, it's on you. Don't worry about the arsonist putting it out. It's his fault, but it's not his responsibility. 
He's not going to take responsibility for it. This shit's on you now. That's Gavin Newsom with housing, with homelessness, with all this stuff, and including the pandemic, right? Gavin Newsom didn't even eat a, eat a bat in Wuhan and come back and cough on everybody. But unfortunately, the pandemic has been laid at his feet, and he's had to make a lot of tough calls. So the point here is that Republicans really wanted to get these core issues and get people riled up against Gavin Newsom. Well, for a while there, it looked like a joke. And then little by little, it kind of gained momentum and gained some speed. And soon, by sort of late summer, the polls were showing Gavin Newsom neck and neck for a recall. And again, he's only running against himself here. There's no one particular candidate that Gavin can even point to to run against. It's just plain, have, has he done a good job and do you want him gone? And then we could replace him with one of these other 46 people. Well, neck and neck it was when we didn't know who it was Gavin was running against. But then a miracle happened in the form of a very interesting and very malignant man, <laughs> I should say, named Larry Elder. Larry Elder is actually from Los Angeles. He is a former talk show host, a super conservative guy who used to be known as the Sage of South Central. Uh, his whole shtick was really as a conservative talk show guy, mostly in the 90s, although I think he's recently come back to it. But originally he was a guy from the 90s who was on conservative talk radio as a black man uh, spouting very, very far right usually sort of the viewpoints you'd hear from white Christian conservatives. And this made him very, very popular, right? Because conservatives love to see their weird worldview parroted by somebody who is not really a part of their community, right? Again, white, rural, Christian people, maybe racist people, maybe not always, but they're, you know, where there's smoke, a lot of times there's fire, and those people have that stereotype for a reason, hearing their views parroted back to them by a black guy from the inner city, agreeing with them. This made him a superstar. People would line up to hear this, right? Because it sort of reaffirmed their own worldview. They're like, see, this black guy from South Central totally agrees. He knows the cities are crazy. He knows these Democrats run things wrong. Um, so it made him a star. Now, I don't know much more about Larry Elder than the official bio, which is that. I've never obviously been a listener. I don't care to be a listener. But just to give you an example, and forgive me if I brought this up before, but he has said something recently, this probably played heavily into this election, things like, I think that slave owners should be, you know, if we're going to talk about reparations, black people want reparations for being slaves, well, what about the slave owners themselves? Because the black people and the slaves were their property and they lost them. When do the slave owners get their reparations? So if we want to talk about black folks in America getting reparations, we could talk about the descendants of slave owners getting their reparations as well. Right, this is a black American man saying this. That is obviously inflammatory. That's crazy stuff. But that's the kind of guy Larry Elder is. Like, that's just to give you a little taste of what goes on on the Larry Elder show. Um, and who might be listening and why they might like it, right? Imagine hearing that if you're sort of a white racist. Hearing this guy say it, you're going to love him. This is the first guy you're going to want to trot out so that you can ha have somebody say your terrible viewpoint who really has no business saying it at all and shouldn't be saying it to prove that you're not a racist, right? Like this black guy thinks slave owners should get reparations. It's not just coming from me. I think most of us would agree that that's despicable. So what's interesting here is Early on in this in this recall election, there were a couple of Republicans that were sort of vying 
to be the replacement should Gavin Newsom get recalled. One of them is Kevin Falconer. He was the Republican mayor of San Diego for several years, and he's a pretty well-liked guy. He's also a pretty moderate Republican. He's not very Trumpy. Um, the other guy that was running was the guy who ran against um, Gavin Newsom, John Cox, you know, back in 2018. He was back in it like, hey, I ran against this guy once. Maybe I can get the governorship now if he gets recalled. Those were the two early front runners. But then came Larry Elder, the guy who thinks that for, you know, the descendants of slave owners should get reparations for having their property taken away after the Civil War. Well, Larry Elder quickly gained popularity with conservatives, which should be alarming to normal conservatives, right? The two guys who were pretty moderate slowly shrank in the polls, and Larry Elder, this cartoonish, Trumpish guy, gained steam. Here are some other things that Larry Elder believed that seemed to get in popularity but should horrify any normal person, especially any Californian. Larry Elder's a guy who basically is a drought denier in a drought-stricken state. He wants to lift, you know, all of these drought restrictions that we have, mostly on agriculture. Farmers, if you're not from California, the farmers in the Central Valley are always asking for more water. More, 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 because less water restricts their output. Obviously, if you're a farmer, you can irrigate more, you can water more, you're going to get more crop and you're going to be able to sell more and you're going to be able to make more money. Unfortunately, we live in a drought-stricken state. And we have water restrictions, not just because of the drought, but for other ecological reasons as well. So farmers are limited in the amount of water that they can use. Now, right now we are in another drought, a big one. And Larry Elder doesn't really believe it, right? He's on the side, in his view, of business. As always, this is a screw living or dying. Screw the environment. It's all about business. And if he hears that there are poor farmers in the Central Valley who can't sell 10 almonds because they're only able to sell and grow eight almonds, well, that's a problem for him. And so his big thing is, I'm going to lift water restrictions, right? Well, that is incredibly stupid because we are going to run out of water, <laughs> basically. It will be a short-sighted bonanza on agricultural growth while we drain all the water in our state and nobody gets it anymore. Larry Elder has said, we need to build more dams. You know, we can catch more of this water. That's a little bit true. California already has one of the most complex and advanced system of dams and water retainment uh, in the entire country. We've gone a long way in trying to get a pretty dry state as wet as possible. Can we do better? Yes. Does lifting water restrictions on agriculture help? No, absolutely not. Uh, what we need to do is continue what we've always done, which is monitor how much water and rainfall we get and make sure that the proper restrictions are in place, that the proper amount of water is able to go to cities where people drink it, and then the proper amount is able to go to agriculture to keep it alive and doing well, while also not sucking our aquifers dry and worsening our drought. Um, this is obviously a situation where a free-for-all bonanza on a natural resource would be a disaster, a complete disaster. But again, no rules on regulated free market capitalists like Larry Elder and his buddies in the GOP just don't see it that way. They'd rather make a buck and the rest of it be damned. Now, it shouldn't surprise you hearing that, that Larry Elder is also a climate change denier, doesn't believe that that's real, uh, doesn't really believe that COVID is a problem, wants to lift mask mandates, especially for schools, wants to lift mass or vaccine mandates, wants to do everything he can to sort of undo the progress we've made on COVID 
in this state because he sees it all as an impediment to freedom, much like a Ron DeSantis type or Greg Abbott or any of our favorite governors of the South. Uh, that's what he would like to do here. So what happened is this race was neck and neck when it was sort of a nobody Republican, probably a moderate person versus Gavin Newsom. But as Larry Elder rose in prominence, the polling began to shift. Uh, Republicans all jumped on board with him depressingly, right? If you ever had a, a question about what they believe or what they want, this incredibly Trumpy far-right lunatic was perfect for them. This is exactly who, who they were on board with. Uh, so they all jumped on board with him. The more moderate Republicans sort of shrank out of the polls. And suddenly two things happened. Republicans in favor of the recall found their candidate in Larry Elder. This was going to be the guy. This was their shining star. He's a black man with far-right, <laughs> white Christian conservative views uh, versus Gavin Newsom, right? The ultimate Democrat, the guy who put a moratorium on the death penalty. Oh, they hate that. People aren't being killed by the prison system, and it really pisses them off. Uh, and has mask mandates and vaccine mandates, has locked down the state and done all these things that they just can't stand. Well, what's interesting is, although Larry Elder galvanized the Republicans around them, he also probably did, more than anything, the biggest job of getting the Democrats out to vote because suddenly we had a boogeyman. We had somebody just like Trump in danger of taking control of the executive office of our state. Now, California, again, is the most Democratic, the bluest state in the union, and something like that is an absolute nightmare scenario for us. Somebody who can appoint judges, right? Someone who can lift mandates of all types. Somebody who can just completely nosedive our state. You know, water restrictions getting lifted again. Like things that would just be beyond disastrous for us. Uh, and so as, as great as it was for the GOP to finally have their candidate, this shot them in the foot. Because Republicans are basically outnumbered in California two to one. And the only worry that Gavin Newsom really ever had was voter apathy from Democrats, right? A recall election is not a presidential election. It usually doesn't get the same amount of press. It doesn't get people off of the couch and out to vote like, like a normal election would. It's a weird thing. And so getting your base energized can be tough. And it was tough for Gavin when there was no one to really fight against. It was just him running against his own reputation. But as soon as this lunatic Larry Elder emerged from the woodwork, well, he finally had somebody to point to and say, do you want this man in charge of your state? Because he's clearly the choice of the Republicans. And if I lose this recall, he's your new governor. Well, believe me, that lit a fire under a lot of people's asses. Uh, Democrats came out to vote in droves to make sure that Gavin Newsom kept the governorship. In fact, a lot of districts that uh, didn't go for Biden, right, that, that voted red in the 2020 election, voted for Newsom in this election. He actually gained ground in a lot of places, and including places, you know, that Biden would have won by 10 points. Well, Newsom won this by 12. You know, there's just been a lot of, of ground gained here. And it's a little bit because Newsom's done a good job and a lot because people are reminded just how insane the Republicans are acting right now. This is not your grandfather's Republican Party, although the seeds of it were certainly planted there. This is something way, way, way far beyond. And California is the last greatest bastion of liberal democracy in the face of this sort of fascistic new version of the GOP. Uh, it's two versions of America, right? Which one do we want to be? Well, they almost had a coup here in the greatest holdout of what I would consider to be real liberal American democracy. But we didn't let them do it.
And in large part, it's because somebody as crazy as Larry Elder stepped up to the plate, which is interesting because it, it opens up a lot of questions about what the future holds for national elections. And one interesting thing about the Democrats is that they're a big tent party. There's a lot of different people, everyone from progressives all the way on the left to moderates and even people like Joe Manchin, who basically is a Republican, all the way at the right end of the party, and everybody in between. Democrats fight with each other all the time about all different kinds of issues. We can never agree on anything. And part of it is there's a lot of identities that want to be heard. And when we're not really busy with an external threat, we spend a lot of time arguing with one another, right? But one thing that seems to really, really galvanize the Democrats and make us present a united front is a serious outside threat from either a crazy person like Donald Trump an outright fascist, right, uh, like Ted Cruz or Greg Abbott or Ron DeSantis. Uh, these, are, these are the types of things that make us all quit arguing with each other and get together. So what's interesting in the future here is going to be seeing, knowing that the Republicans are con, you know, basically competing with one another to see who can be the craziest, who can be the Trumpiest, it's almost moved on from who can get Trump's favor by acting the craziest to now that he's sort of a little bit out of the picture, who can be the new Trump, right? Who's even crazier than Trump? Who's even more mean-spirited? Who hates other Americans even more than Donald Trump, right? Because Republicans are no longer concerned with running for all Americans. They're running for each other's support, which is weird, right? It's very, very weird to be only concerned with pleasing 37% of the country, right? In a purity contest of who can be the most pure evil, <laughs> Uh, that's not a great way to win an election, especially because while they may wind up having their popular figures, like a Ron DeSantis might make a run, they love him over in that party, these people are absolutely going to completely unify Democrats and independents and people who don't like that across the board to just trounce them in election after election. I mean, again, look at what just happened in California. It was neck and neck until they all got behind Larry Elder, the Trumpiest guy they could find, because that's what they want these days. It was what they thought was good for them. Like, let's get the guy who's the nuttiest because we love nutty shit, and he's our guy. Well, if they hadn't done that, you have to wonder if as many Democrats would have turned out to vote, because that scared the shit out of people. What also scared the shit out of people was this Texas abortion law and the voter suppression going on in other parts of the Republican-controlled United States. You know, these are things that are getting a lot of news and a lot of attention. And the timing couldn't have been better for Texas to do what it did with women's rights, right? If Californians don't want that happening here, we look at somebody like Larry Elder in danger of taking control of our executive office. We look at what he wants. We look at what the GOP is doing in places like Texas. Well, there is no better motivator to get people out and vote. Like, it's one thing to say, Something positive is on the ballot this year. Unfortunately, it is never as good of an incentive as a threat. So you could say, you know, this has already happened in California, but like, we're going to legalize cannabis or we're going to do something nice, right? We're, I'm running on giving more money to schools. All those things all might be great, but are they going to pull every single Democrat off the couch to vote like their life depended on it? No, probably not, because it's more like asking, uh, do you want a dessert after your dinner versus threatening never to feed you again? <laughs> like one of these things is a much, much greater concern to you. Dessert is nice, right? 
The idea that I might never eat again? I'm going to do whatever it takes to prevent that from happening. And so when Republicans run people like Larry Elder, and when they inevitably have a runoff between Trump and Ron DeSantis in their own primary and then try to take that to the national stage, it's going to be an interesting thing to watch because as much as it popularizes and energizes their base, it probably energizes our base even more. And there are more of us, right? There are more Democrats than there are Republicans across the country. Now, the issue of voting districts is going to be a problem for the midterms when it comes to the, you know, uh, House elections and stuff like that. But the issue of the presidency, mm, we'll see, you know, if they really want to get that crazy, it's probably not going to work. Again, Biden won by 8 million votes in the popular vote. The Electoral College, which is a sham and needs to be destroyed, was closer because it's designed to be (laughs) a disruptor of real democracy. So there's another thing I want to talk about here when it comes to disruptors of real democracy, uh, and that is just the recall process in general. Now, again, at the very beginning of this episode, we talked about why California has the recall process that it does. And it shouldn't, you know, really be that there's no recall process in place, but I'll note that there are 19 other states, to my knowledge, that have recall elections, and most of them have something like a 20% threshold of the electorate has to petition for this, or greater. California's is only 12, right? You only need 12% of the electorate to get a recall on the ballot. Most places, the threshold is much, much higher. Um, The other thing that we should probably fix here It's just the idea that anyone can replace the person being recalled, right? So you get 46 different candidates to pick from, meaning, like I said before, that somebody with barely any votes just happens to have more votes than the other huge pool of people running and wins, even though they have far from a mandate from Californians, right? If you have 15% of the state supporting you and you become the governor, that's not democracy, That's a perversion of democracy. What should probably be fixed here is if the person is recalled, the governor is recalled, their lieutenant governor steps into place or something like that, right? It should just be this person's got to go, but we've got somebody else lined up, not this person's got to go. Now take your pick, porn star, blogger, conservative radio host, who's the next governor? Because that's what it is right now, and that's a circus and it's a joke. There was no serious candidate running except for maybe... Kevin Falconer, the former Republican mayor of San Diego. No serious candidate with any real experience on that ballot. Uh, It was a scary, scary proposition for Newsom to have been recalled. Whether you love him or hate him, what would have taken place would have been an abomination of democracy, basically. There's the other question of just referendums in general, right? Direct democracy versus representative democracy. I mean, there's a reason that we elect representatives to go to Congress and vote on things rather than putting every single bill that ever crosses the House and the Senate just to an open vote of the American public, right? Like, what do you guys all think? Let's have a referendum here. Referendums don't always end well. A lot of times they are disastrous. Look at Brexit. That's the result of a referendum, right? That wasn't something that was debated in the House of Parliament, you know, between the MPs that they decided to do. That was something that was very foolishly put to an open vote of all British citizens. And they decided <laughs> they decided to leave the EU. People were shocked. People wanted to do over. People that voted for it 
later came back and said, oh my God, I can't believe that passed. I only did it as a protest vote. I didn't really want to leave the EU. I just wanted our government to wake up and pay attention to the things that we care about. Holy shit. Now we're actually doing Brexit. It was a disaster. People can't always be counted on to make informed decisions. A lot of times they vote emotionally or angrily with these sort of referendum type votes. Now, obviously voting is important, but we have a whole system of normal voting in place. You vote for your candidates, you vote for your representatives, and they go take your interest to Washington and vote bill by bill, measure by measure, every little thing that crosses their desk every day. Because they spend all day thinking about it, researching it, doing the pros and cons, and weighing the politics of the outcomes, right? You probably don't. You have time to pick a guy to do that job full time, and that's the point of representative democracy. The recall is referendum democracy, it's direct democracy, and it's a shit show, clearly. It needs to be fixed. At the very least, let's raise that minimum somewhere above 12%. That's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. And embarrassing. This cost California taxpayers $300 million. You know, it's about $7 for every California resident, but still, I don't want to give $7 to this dumb shit. Are you kidding me? I could go buy a very small lunch with $7 in California. I could put two gallons of gas, maybe less, in my car for $7 in California. Either way, look, with the homeless problem and all the other things that we face, $300 million is a lot of money wasted. For what? So that we can prove that the bluest state of the union still wants a Democratic governor? What a total waste of time and money. Speaking of time and money, we have one year, just one year left until Gavin Newsom runs for re-election. They could have waited, but they knew that they would never win. Either way, this looks like a major GOP shoot ourselves in the foot scenario here, because what have they done? Gavin Newsom has gotten a free year of campaigning. He's got $24 million extra dollars in his campaign account right now after this recall. $24 million going into his next election. And he has proven himself a winner. And he's proven himself popular. He just beat back every Republican under the sun, from the moderates to the extremely crazy in, you know, embodied by Larry Elder. He's proven himself to be a winner for California. He's proven that Californians like him. He's just won 70 to 36, you know, a vote of confidence one year away from his reelection bid. At the end of the day, and I could be wrong here, but for where I'm sitting, I think this winds up looking great for Gavin Newsom and really, really bad for Republicans, right? I also think that as much as a lot of America likes to hate California, much of it is jealousy because they are angry that we have such an influence on their lives, right? So much of our culture in America comes from California, from the software and tech industry uh, to Hollywood and television and music and movies. Like, we just have an overwhelming influence on everybody. And I know that they resent it, you know, especially if they're conservative and they just hate that we have control of all that stuff. They resent it. But the fact of the matter is California tends to lead the way on not only social issues, but most political issues, including environmental, economic, you know, things like cannabis, just all of this stuff, we tend to lead the way for the country. What California does today, you know, New Jersey will do in five years, and somewhere like, I don't know, Kentucky will do in 15. You know, it's just 
we are the vanguard. So seeing this go this way might be a good portent for the next presidential election and probably not for the midterms because we just don't have enough control over what's going on with districts being redrawn and places like Georgia and stuff. But in the long term, seeing the rejection of Trumpism from the nation's biggest economy and the most populous state, seeing that we have outright slapped it in the face and sent it on its way home might be a good sign for the rest of America. You know, I'm not expecting much from Texas, although they're increasingly purple. I'm not expecting much from Georgia. But there are some places like Florida, who even though they're led by Republicans and they act out of their minds, are purple and they're anyone's game at the end of the day. Those elections are squarely down there. That is a place that has been gerrymandered to hell and back. It's interesting. Florida is majority Democratic, yet it is controlled by Republicans because of gerrymandering. Uh, Texas will probably be the same for a while to come because they saw it getting too purple. Now they're going to screw with it. But for the majority of America, I like to think that we might have just set a good example here. We'll see. Unfortunately, it won't be the only example set. Now, there's been, sadly and predictably, cries of voter fraud, right, and statistical anomalies in the vote from Larry Elder, right, and Republicans Interestingly, before the votes were even in, um, Larry Elder's campaign last week, and even, even a week before that, I think, were already talking about voter fraud. They thought that there was going to be anomalies, that they were already detecting anomalies. Like how they were detecting them before the vote was in, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Why they think there's fraud, it doesn't make sense. But it does set an alarming trend that now more and more we're going to see Republicans who have a very hard time winning popular elections, crying fraud, which is a complete undermining of our democratic system, right? If you lose, you shake hands and try again next time. That has worked for a long time here. What's going to really screw up this entire country's faith in itself is people crying fraud every time they lose an election. Now, look, it should be no surprise that you run against somebody like Gavin Newsom, a Democrat who won his office with the largest margin of uh, victory ever, who had a 56% approval rating in a blue state. You're going to run against him as a Republican and lose. It should be no surprise. But to cry fraud about that, well, it's just disingenuous, but it's also dangerous. You, you, it's, it, there doesn't need to be fraud for you to have lost here. This wasn't even close. But it's following the Trump playbook of just crying foul, crying fraud every time something doesn't go your way. And it seems like in an effort to be more Trumpy and just go down that road further, this is going to become a new thing in America when it's never been a thing before. This is unprecedented. I mean, it's just the ultimate bad faith uh, action in a democracy. We all really need to have faith in the system. And that undermines faith in the system like nothing else. For the moment, though, We've won in California. Hooray for us. We'll see what happens on the grander stage. You know, America's obviously in a crazy place right now. Um, but at least my state has gotten its shit together and didn't do the absolute most suicidal thing it could have done and gotten rid of Gavin Newsom in this moment. If a better candidate appears on the horizon who's not insane, we can consider him. But for the moment, I think Newsom's done about as good a job as anybody can expect. And keep in mind, the guy only had California for nine months before the pandemic hit. 
Uh, he's had a lot thrown at him. Now, it's not to make excuses for him. I actually, you know, honestly think he's done a pretty good job, all things considered. Certainly better than somebody like Larry Elder. So let's just thank God that that didn't happen. And honestly, all of America should be thankful. If you lost California to this, trust me, it would have ripple effects across this country. Believe it. Anyway, guys, that's sort of a special little California recall episode of The Skunk. I appreciate you coming back once again. Uh, Don't forget to tell your teacher, tell your friend, tell your mailman, tell your dog, tell everybody to subscribe to The Skunk. Otherwise, I will see you all next time. Take care. And uh, what, Eureka? (laughs) I think that's California's state motto. Eureka! I don't think I'm going to keep that one. But for this, Eureka. See you next time.